Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that regular meditation leads to neuroplasticity in your brain. Neuroscientists at the University of Wisconsin found that people who meditate on a regular basis have high levels of gamma wave activity. And that activity allows those frequent meditators to better control their thoughts and their reactivity. Other studies have found that those high levels of gamma waves actually lead to neuroplasticity. And that's, if you want the official definition, it's the brain's ability to change structurally and functionally on the basis of environmental input. Now, traditional neuroscience believes that you can't train up gamma with neurofeedback. However, that is something that we built proprietary hardware and software to do at 40 Years of Zen, my neuroscience facility. So I can show you pictures of my gamma waves that do go up when I do them. And even if I didn't have neurofeedback, it turns out meditation itself, when you are good at it, when you practice it regularly, the way an advanced Zen meditator would, for instance, uh, can raise these high-frequency brainwaves. You could also, if you're a biohacker like me, run an electrical current over your brain in the gamma frequency range, which I may or may not have been doing for quite a few years, and which we also do at <laughs> 40 Years of Zen. So gamma is the new alpha, I like to say. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's guest, Emily Fletcher, has been on a couple of times before. She's a friend, and she's the founder of Ziva Meditation and created something called the Ziva Technique. And she's the leading expert in meditation for high performance. She started Ziva in 2011 in New York, and she's been on the New York Times, the Today Show, Vogue, and ABC, and she's one of the top 100 women in wellness. And she's spoken on meditation for performance at Google, Harvard, Viacom, and Wanderlust, where I also spoke and saw her most recently. She's also a game changer because she doesn't just sort of pick regular people to teach meditation to, although she does a bunch of that. She finds people who are kind of high performers. Let's see, Oscar winners, Grammy winners, Emmy winners, Tony Award winners, NBA players, CEOs, and then parents and entrepreneurs like me and everyone else, which is kind of cool because before she started doing all that sort of weird stuff, she was a Broadway performer <laughs> and she had roles in Chicago and a chorus line and really I'd say beat herself up physically and emotionally and use meditation first on herself and then, uh, and then to help a lot of other people. Emily, welcome back to Bulletproof Radio. I am so excited to be back here with you, Dave. Thank you for having me. We were just talking before I turned on the record button uh, that uh, I'm sitting here looking at you and you look fantastic and well put together the way you always do. But you have a, a new baby named Jasper. And I was just saying, you do not have a new baby because you don't look like the way you do after a new baby because you don't look drawn out and tired and sort of, you know, 
like you've been through a pretty heavy emotional and physical thing involving lots of sleep loss and, and whatnot. So before we get into these new things that you've learned about the Ziva technique that you're going to share, just tell me, you don't look like a new mom. And I'm, you know, <laughs> what did you do? Well, I have to say that I, my postpartum was actually very brutal. I, and I went into it very arrogant. I got pregnant on my first try at 39. I had an amazing dreamlike pregnancy. And I, I actually wrote a whole course called the blissful birth. And I was ready to hit send from the hospital bed. <laughs> and then my labor was a four day back labor. <laughs> and then it went into, um, he had jaundice and he had a tongue tie. So breastfeeding was excruciating and my stitches came out. I mean, it was just like gut punch after gut punch and sleep deprivation and he was losing weight and I wasn't making enough milk. And, and so my, I'd say about the first seven weeks after having him was one of the most challenging times of my life. And I actually stopped meditating. Me, a meditation teacher, I've taught 15,000 people and I didn't meditate for a long time, for me a long time. And I actually think I needed my body to be in fight or flight. It was like I needed to be in battle mode for a while. And then it was getting back into my routines of meditation and exercise and eating really clean that has pulled me out of that. And now I'm starting to feel like a human again, and I'm starting to feel like myself. And so I want to shout out my mom and my husband, because my husband has been taking nights for the past few weeks leading up to my book launch, and my mom has been helping us during the days. So it takes a village, y'all. Um, but really, truly, if I didn't have meditation, I don't know how I would have gotten through you know, running a company and having a book launch and having kids. You know, this is your life. You've been doing this for years. So I feel like in these high demand times, it's even more important that you double down on your health hacks. I have this theory that the most ass-kicking women I know are oftentimes the ones who say, oh, I'm going to totally, you know, rock this pregnancy and this birth. And, and it seems like Mother Nature's like, you know what, just a little reminder here. Uh, mm -hmm. it, like it, it might be harder than you think. Um, yep. and, and, and pregnancies can be ridiculously easy. Uh, you know, births can be really easy. They can be really hard. It seems like it's entirely unpredictable. But my pattern matching system is sort of like the easier you think it's going to be, uh, the the harder it is, and if you're super stressed the whole time, it, it'll probably be easier than you thought it was going to be, although being stressed the whole time is miserable and probably not good for you or the baby, but it's <laughs> like finding that comfortable ground, you're like, I'm just going to let it happen, seems like the yeah. hardest challenge for it. Yeah, I think it was a level of arrogance, and I think I needed to be humbled. I needed some humility, and and I also broke my attachment to, I was very attached to exclusively breastfeeding, and I just simply wasn't making enough milk, so we had to supplement with formula, and yes, we found really good organic formula that we imported from Europe, but still, it, it was heartbreaking to me, And but it was a good lesson right off the bat to surrender my rigid attachment to outcome, to surrender preferences and ultimately do what's best for the baby and to flow. There you go. Uh, we always do our best, but if perfection is your goal, you're probably not going to like your life. Yeah. Uh, in fact, that's one of the laws in Game Changers. I just thought of that, that, you know, perfection isn't the goal, but average is the enemy. And you want to be above mm. average if at all possible. Uh, and, but you don't have to be perfect. So, mm -hmm. yeah, perfection is a prison. It, it really is. And I mean, I guess you dealt with perfection a lot. Uh, because of your career on Broadway, where you have to perform at about as near perfect as possible, and you have to look perfect and remember everything you're going to do and, and just kind of have perfection. What did that do to your brain? Mm. Well, I think being swinging, which is what I did, which means you understudy many leads all at once, it, it allowed me to develop this dexterity, this mental dexterity, and allowed me to hold many roles in one awareness at the same time. So, you know, my job was to show up to the theater with no idea which character I was going to play. And so at a moment's notice, at a drop of a hat, you have to play this character or you might switch to another one. And so that actually, I think, took my brain to the gym in a very healthy way. But that anxiety of not knowing was the thing that kept me in that low-grade chronic fight or flight. And that was the thing that led to anxiety and insomnia and going gray at 26 and and ultimately leading me to meditation. And then it was when I found this practice, it was like, oh, cured my insomnia. I stopped going gray. I didn't get sick for eight and a half years. And then I think it played a huge role in me getting pregnant at 39 on my first try and having such a great pregnancy and then pulling me out of brutal postpartum. You talk about yourself as a recovering control freak, but you also say that you go to Burning Man in India as often as possible. How is that possibly, uh, how does that line up? 
<laughs> well, I used to, you know, I'm an adult child of an alcoholic, and I think that this is a very common attribute that uh, children of addicts or, or alcoholics have because you don't know what's going to happen in your home. Everything is unpredictable. You try to control anything you can. And sometimes that will be your diet. Sometimes it'll be your exercise. Sometimes it, it comes out in OCD. Um, for me, it was, it was, I think, always aspiring towards greatness. It was, I wanted to be a better singer, a better dancer, a better actress. And, um, and it wasn't really well, I think that that control, that perfectionism helped me. I think it's one of the reasons that allowed me to accomplish what I did, but just it's that whole rule of the, the tools that got you here won't get you where you're going. And so at a certain point, they started to be detrimental. And so it wasn't really until I found meditation that I started to understand the art and the beauty and the power of surrender, that you could actually let go and let something else take the wheel. And that doesn't mean being lazy. It means trusting that nature has more information than you. And I think going experiences like going to Burning Man and experiencing that beautiful right brain serendipity, that present moment playfulness, and then going to places like India where even, this is going to sound so hippy-dippy, but even the trees vibrate because people have been meditating there for thousands and thousands of years. There's just a different frequency when you go up into Northern India. And so having those life experiences really opened me up to what is possible and to this whole other way of living your life, which is one of fun and flow and trust instead of trying to control everything. And I think because most humans only have access to their quote unquote left brain or that you know prefrontal cortex critical mind, all of us are, not all of us, but many of us are trying to control our way through our lives. And we're like those little kids at the grocery store driving the plastic cart, the, uh, sorry, the plastic car on the front of the shopping cart. And the mom, you know, is pushing the shopping cart, looking at the kid thinking, oh, look how adorable that child thinks he's driving this shopping yeah. cart. And I think that's how God looks at humans. You know, we all think we're driving our lives. We think we're controlling things. But meanwhile, God is like, look how adorable those humans think they're in control. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great image. <laughs> Uh, anyone who's ever pushed a little kid watching the total joy when they turn the steering wheel and you're like, <laughs> right. <laughs> so at, as a, a parent of a child who hasn't quite gotten to this age, one of my kids, I won't embarrass uh, that one by saying which one it was, uh, went through a period of, well, we'll just call it constipation. Uh, I'm going to use they to preserve anonymity because, well, kids get embarrassed by these things, uh, looked at me and, and said, I'm never going to poop again. <laughs> on purpose like it was their yeah, no, they're, it was they're, their they're just intention like, Poop, pooping hurts i am never going to poop again and i'm going to control that and i just i just looked at them and, and said i'm good luck with that <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> maybe we don't have that. as much control as we might like <laughs> oh it would be so convenient if we did but the thing is if we're going around our lives just with our left brain or with our individuality and we're not utilizing that intuition or that right brain it's like a really beautiful well-crafted laptop without being on wi-fi it's like having a great machine but not connected to the internet and so when i think when you practice these these techniques these biohacks these you know, sleeping, exercise, eating well, then you're basically taking your whole brain to the gym. And with meditation, you're taking that right brain to the gym, which to me is like the Wi-Fi router that's allowing you to to tap into that collective consciousness, to that creative intelligence that is bigger than any one individual. One of the laws in, in Game Changers is all about getting outside your head. And the book now has hundred and twenty something five star reviews Yay. and has two one star reviews, and both one star <laughs> reviews are basically Dave Asprey said to use drugs, and I'm like, <laughs> I did not. In there, I, I said, look, here's the deal: you must find a way to get outside your own head to see what's going on in there, right? Because if you're only looking at it from the inside, you don't know. And yes, ayahuasca or you know, medically assisted, uh, uh, psychedelic assisted uh, therapies work. And I talked about, I said, go to Burning Man, you know, do Vipassana, meditate in a cave. There's all these ways that don't involve drugs, uh, deep meditative states. You, you gotta do something. And many of the game changers uh, I interviewed in the book had some practice to do this. Mm -hmm. And so I wanna ask you, what is the best way to get outside your head. It's okay to say mm. Burning Man. That was one of my recommendations. But <laughs> Well, you know, we've, we've been there together. So exactly. I, I, I know how you do it. Um, and, and look, fun is one way. Play yeah. is one way to get out of that, you know, incessant reviewing the past and rehearsing the future. And it's not getting out of your head in general. I think it's getting out of that 
critical mind, that closed individual thinking. And so two funny stories. One, the first time you and I ever met was actually at Harvard Business School. <laughs> and I was vaguely aware of who you were at the time. It was a long time ago, but you turned around and you handed me a vial of something. You said, here, take this. <laughs> it's like, I don't even know who you are. I'm about to speak at Harvard Business School for the first time. I'm not going to take a vial of unidentified it was, substance. It was unfair advantage. That stuff totally unfair. makes you have a better speech. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Since then, I would totally have taken it. Um, <laughs> And then fun side note is that the one and only time I've ever done acid, um, my friend had this farm upstate. He's like, he was very, he was a meditation student of mine. He was very invested in me experiencing what it felt like to do that and said, you know what, let me, you know, you only live once. I want to experience this. I make a living off of talking about different states of consciousness. So I did it and it was super fun. I had a great time. I really enjoyed it. But the one thing that was coming through all night long was Vipassana, 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 Vipassana. And I had never done that before. And so, but there was something in me that knew that there was a way to access these states of consciousness, even without drugs. And so a few months later, I went to India and I did my first 10 day silent meditation retreat. And while it was not the same thing as acid, it was fascinating to watch how you could actually go into a very, very different state of consciousness sober. Um, now, I, I'm glad that I did Vipassana and I learned a lot from it. I think it was very valuable, but I consider that psychic surgery. It's great to do if you are looking for big insight or you've been through a divorce or you're writing yeah. a book or you just need to get out. 10 days of silent meditation is a big amount of time and energy invested. And yeah, it, like it messes with your head, right? Yeah. And for a lot of people, if they go in very stressed or very toxic, if they are, if they haven't done much purification of their physiology, they can have a bit of a break. You know, there can be, it's so intense that if you go in with your body, not very purified, it just can be too much. And lots of people leave, lots of people can have like mild psychotic breaks. Um, lots of people have great experiences. Uh, yeah. so I, I had a great experience, but like you said, 10 days is, is tough to get away. Whereas what I teach at Ziva is more like physical therapy, right? It's like, I teach people how on their own, how to be self-sufficient and then does every day. And so this is obviously my preferred way that you wake up in the morning, you meditate. It's like brushing your teeth for your brain, filling yourself up with bliss and fulfillment and the ability to adapt. And then you enjoy delivering that throughout your day. And then somewhere mid afternoon, early evening, you do 15 minutes and you steal away, you do it again. And it's like, you've taken a vacation for your brain and you have all of this energy and kindness and creativity to deliver to the rest of your workday and to your family and to your friends, instead of just coming home exhausted, drinking wine and passing asleep on the couch. It's, uh, it, it's an interesting idea to say, all right, there's a daily practice of this. And if you look at the the Buddhist meditation paths, there's this fast path towards enlightenment that they talk about. And I learned this at a monastery, a Tibetan Buddhist monastery in uh, in Nepal when I went there. Actually, when I, I, quote, discovered yak butter tea, as in I tried it for mm -hmm. the first time, which was the genesis for Bulletproof Coffee. And during that 10-day, a mostly silent meditation, they, you know, they, they taught us about this. And, and the fast path is... Maybe you can get enlightened in one lifetime, but it's a dangerous, steep trail. And if you fall off, you go nuts. And they're like, this is a known risk, but mm -hmm. you know, that's the fast way to do it. I'm like, that sounds fun. You know, is there a helicopter? Um, because that's my personality. And yep. there's also sort of the, the middle path <laughs> where, yeah, mm -hmm. it might take a few lifetimes, but you just have this kind of daily practice, daily practice and all mm -hmm. of that. And then there was a, a much, I think, slower, like less conscious path. And when... Uh, when I look at what you're talking about, you're talking about something that's that's much more accessible with a, a Ziva mm -hmm. technique. We're saying, look, I'm just going to do some of this every day. And the question that I have for you then is, is it worth for people who are so inclined like me to do Vipassana or uh, like you did, uh, you know, LSD in an appropriate setting, in a spiritual setting, not, you know, at Disneyland or somewhere stupid. I, I don't mean at a party. I mean somewhere with, with consciousness and with support and all that. Because, by the way, it has about the same risk of creating a psychotic break as 10-day meditation. Like, it's not without mm -hmm. risk, but it's mm -hmm. not high risk either. Mm -hmm. um, or holotropic breathing with Stan Groff, who's been on the show. I've done a bunch of holotropic breathing with him, and I've seen more stuff there than I have on ayahuasca, uh, right? So like these are all these different ways to to at least once experience these very out there outside your head states. Is it better to have done that and then have a daily practice because you know what you're capable of or is the daily practice alone enough? 
Well, I think that everyone's going to come in to it in their own way. Just like some people come on the health train through food first and then they find meditation. Some people get on the health train through exercise and then they find food. Um, same thing with spirituality and different states of consciousness. Sometimes you might try drugs and then feel inclined to start a meditation practice. I think where people get into trouble is when they think that the drugs alone will be uh, sustainable, that the drugs alone are going to usher them into higher yeah. states of consciousness. Because while it might give you a window into what that looks like, if you're not actually doing the work, then it's not going to be sustainable and you have to pay the piper. You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So it's, it's, I think that can be valuable as a window into what it looks like and what it feels like, but at some point you're going to have to go to the gym, right? Like steroids might make you big. It's not going to make you strong. And same thing, the meditation practice is you going to the gym. It's actually working out this beautiful muscle that is in charge of printing every cell in our body and making every decision in our lives. So when people say to me, I don't have time to meditate, it's like, what else are you doing with your time? We're talking about your brain right now. <laughs> I have a friend who has tried more than a hundred ayahuasca ceremonies. Wow, wow. And he's not in training to be a shaman. He has just tried a bunch of these. And at a certain point, I, I just want to look at him and be like, dude, it's not working. <laughs> you know, to, to your point <laughs> where uh, if you have to do that, there's a word for it, it's called dependence. And if mm -hmm. you are dependent on substances uh, like that to reach your deepest states, then that's a bit of an issue. On the other hand, you're dependent on water, so you don't, you know, you don't, you're dependent on exercise to get oxygen into your brains. And you're probably, if you're like most sane humans, dependent on coffee in the morning. <laughs> uh, and I just, you know, what, when is a dependence a good thing or a bad thing? And I don't know how to know where to draw the line there. Uh, but well, I would say that, and the difference between a dependence and an addiction mm -hmm. is most addictions are actually destructive to the brain, to the body, or to the psyche in some way versus a dependence. Like I am a hundred percent dependent on meditation, but I don't call it an addiction because it's not yeah. destructive. It's actually constructive to your point And the fun fact of the day, it's actually increasing neuroplasticity. Yeah. It's increasing neurogenesis instead of destroying me slowly over time. That, that's what kind of drives me nuts. People say, well, I don't, I don't do coffee because it's addictive. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> coffee doubles ketone production in the morning and provides a whole bunch of polyphenols. It is constructive and it mm. feels good. And so is that an addiction? Oh, and when you stop doing something that makes you feel good, you feel worse. Like I said, just like exercise and just like sleep, right? Like those and are, meditation. Yeah, like all the good stuff, right? So this isn't me pushing coffee. Trust me, if you're listening to the show, you won't change my life if you do, don't drink coffee. It'll change your life. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I just, I, I work on that a lot when I talk with people um, just like you do, you know, one-on-one -on -one and, and, and you see people worried about that line between addiction and dependence. And I think your definition there around, is it constructive? Is it additive to your life? Then it's not an addiction. Uh, mm. and, and so I, I, I like that. And so far, I don't think fentanyl is adding anything to anyone's life unless they're in extreme chronic pain. Uh, but we have a lot of addicts. That's the, the flip side of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, it's also worth pointing out that it's probably not possible to get addicted to meditation, although maybe to breath work, it is possible. I've, I've seen people get in bad states uh, from doing way too much breath work every day where they're sort of floaty and ungrounded and just like not able to function at work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and it is also possible to be addicted to hallucinogens, although it's exceptionally hard and the addiction rate for things like LSD are, is actually much lower than for alcohol. Uh, mm. So um, what's your take on, you know, addiction to breath work. Have you ever seen it? What's the, what's the downside of breath work? And then I want you to teach me some breath work. Well, well <laughs> you want me to push the breath work. So I feel like I, I appreciate your specificity because I, I think that we're using the term meditation as this sort of catch all, like yeah. the word food and blueberry things to your body than butter, which does very different things than coffee. And yet we call it all food. And so same thing with meditation. There is breath work, there's Kundalini, there's Vipassana, there's oh, Ziva, yeah. all different types. And some of them lift you up and some of them are out letting go. And so I don't, I think it just depends on what you're doing. And I think anything you're looking to, to escape your life, then this can be addictive. But if you're looking at it as a tool to heal, then I find that it can only be additive. And the thing about Ziva is that it's 
it's not just about an escape. It's actually not about feeling good when you're doing it. Occasionally it feels nice when you're doing it, but I actually, I say to my students all the time, I'm like, I don't care if you enjoy the meditation. I care if you get better at life. Like you having 15 minutes of nice feeling in a chair, like if you want to do that, go get high. If you want to heat <laughs> backlog of trauma from your entire life, then meditate, right? And so this is a, an interesting distinction is that mindfulness, which is more akin to breath work or focusing most of the apps out there, most of the YouTube videos are teaching what I would call mindfulness, which is where you're directing your focus. Um, and it's very good at dealing with your stress in the present moment. Like, oh, I'm stressed. My boss yelled at me. Let me go listen to my 10 minutes of my app. Versus the meditation that I teach is all about getting rid of your stress from the past. And to do that, we're actually de-exciting the nervous system and inducing very deep healing rest. And then, you know, the third part of what we teach is, is manifesting, which is all about your dreams for the future. And I, I know now because you've had some shamans on and you've gotten way weirder since then, since we had I, done I've that. always been weird. I just didn't want people to know it in the first hundred episodes because then they would not notice all the science behind even the weird stuff that I do. Fair point. Fair point. You've always been weird, but now you're more open. You're letting your freak flag <laughs> I just fly. Do, I just freely. do what works. And like if there's evidence for it, I'll try it. If it doesn't work, the worst I do is I you know dance around on one foot and chant it or something. Like like it's not going to kill me, right? Exactly. And so the manifesting, you know, I get some eye rolls from some high performers, but really it's just consciously creating a life you love. It's you okay. getting intentional. But what gotta, you want your life to love. I got to pause you for a second there. Okay. Those okay. skeptical high performers, they come to forty years of Zen, and I get to look at their brainwaves. I got news for you, people. I know what the brainwaves of people who manifest without knowing how they do it look like. I can pick you out of a lineup if I have an EEG. So if you mm -hmm. want to tell me that manifestation isn't real, that's okay. You just keep on believing that and keep manifesting whatever the heck you're doing because it works. Like th that's actually a mental state and it's one you mm -hmm. can reach with meditation. And so, I don't know, at a certain point, I don't care if you believe me or not, but either try it or don't. Like, it's totally up to you. Yeah, like to your point, we're manifesting all the time. It's just, are you aware that you're holding a magic wand in your hand or not? Are you just yeah. thinking that your life circumstances are showing up or are you starting to take responsibility for the co-creator role that we're playing with nature all the time? I, I fundamentally believe, Emily, and I think you do too, like if you harbor ill will towards others, even if you smile at them and, and look at them and all that stuff, it costs you greatly. And if you have some of this manifesting and everyone does, some people are better at making stuff happen than others. Uh, and you're walking around angry and pissed off at people all the time while behaving appropriately as an adult, you're going to, you're going to create chaos in the world around you in ways that you are not aware that you're doing. And that is why I focus on things like gratitude and forgiveness and compassion in meditation, because if you don't do that, you don't even know all the shit you're creating in the people around you. And mm. it's also why if you have people like that in your world, you get them out of your world or make them do their work. Mm, yep, I agree. And, and P.S., thank you so much for talking about these things like gratitude, forgiveness. They're so simple, but they are so incredibly powerful. And I, I have everyone do before they do any manifesting, you start with gratitude, right? Because it's like if you had a friend that was always asking you for things but never saying thank you, you would eventually stop giving them things. And I think it's the same if we anthropomorphize nature. If you're never saying thank you to nature before you're asking for things or manifesting things, you know, eventually it becomes a little less effective. Also, if you are taking time being disciplined about giving thanks each day, you're actually retraining your brain to look for everything that's going right. And there was some interesting science that came out suggesting that even on the days where you can't think of anything to give thanks for, just asking the question, what am I grateful for, is enough to change the chemistry of your brain. <laughs> I, I once did a, a sweat lodge uh, with... Uh, <laughs> Uh, this was after a week of, uh, of shamanic training with Alberto Viono. Uh, and this was led by, uh, one of the, uh, the sun dancers, uh, you know, the, these, this is like the, the hardest core, you know, you know, indigenous Americans, um, you know, where he had scars in his arms from, you know, putting hooks through like, like the, like the, a real guy who spent his entire life doing sweat lodges and, and just, you know, saw the world through eyes that are not mine. And, we're we're sitting in there and and traditionally you wouldn't mix men and women but this was you know a mixed sweat lodge um and he said uh, one, one of the women there said oh i've hit rock bottom oh it's the end of the world things couldn't possibly get any worse and and he looked at her and he said what we have here is a case of self-pity right and and i don't know what came over me I, I i was about to pass out to be honest um i was really close to passing out uh and i i just looked at her and, and, and she said, if I could just ask for one thing, it'd be just enough to get through the day. And, 
And I, and I just looked at her, what do you mean you've hit rock bottom? You still have both your legs, don't you? Right. Yes. And you have not, you're nowhere near rock bottom. And I'm like, and if you could ask for anything on earth, why wouldn't you ask for enough energy to dance throughout the day instead of just to get through the day? I'm like, like, mm. like just get off it. Of course, mm. after that, I looked at the guy next to me. I'm like, if I pass out, would you drag me outside? And then I was like laying on the floor. So I didn't throw up. But anyway, <laughs> I, that's still stuck in my, in my mind right now when you said that, because there was no excuse for anyone listening to this. You're like, I have nothing to be grateful for. Seriously, do you have both your legs? Okay, good. That's a win for the day. Like, are you breathing? You know, it, it's not that hard, but it's yes. really easy to get stuck in all the other crap. And it's just, it's, it's not okay to lose even that level of connection. Like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm living in, in a, a part of the world where I have enough food. That's a pretty good one. Anyway, I'll, I'll get off my soapbox there, but I, just, I had to share that anecdote. It's because, a good soapbox. Any story yeah. that, where Dave starts, I was in a sweat lodge once. I'm interested <laughs> in hearing. <laughs> but I, I, it was kind of a, a jerk move, really, because it wasn't really my job to do that, but I, I will leave it to the um, uh, the extreme high temperatures and whatever else. But I just, I couldn't believe it because I'm like, you know, I, I've been at times when I'm like, you know, self-pity and you know self-hatred and you know, mean voices in my head and all that stuff. And meditation definitely helps with that stuff. But like you said, yeah. gratitude. And if you can't find anything, like you're just not looking. Mm. And I think the tricky thing is that when you're in those states, you, you oftentimes don't want help. You might think that you want help, but actually what people want is what I call the suffering trophy, Yes, you know, where they just want this trophy. Like, I don't know how you make it through the day. That sounds very hard. And I think that you can do that. You can genuinely give someone the suffering trophy without being mean about it. Uh, it's just, because it's it's honest. Like I don't know how I made it through the day before I had meditation, mindfulness, and manifesting. It was much, life was much much harder. I would not have made it through my postpartum had I not had these tools. So I can do that honestly with compassion. Okay. And say, you know, you want the suffering trophy. When you want help, when you want to change, call me. What do you do when an Oscar or a Tony Award winner is sitting across from you, stuck in that place? Hey, do they do people at that level get stuck there? Yeah, I actually had an NBA player come to me and his agent had hired me and because he was thinking about leaving the NBA. And so his agent is the one who brought me on. Wow. And his agent obviously wants him to stay in the NBA. We're talking like tens and tens of millions of dollars of contracts. And my job was to come in and like be the, I don't know what I was like, the 13th hour person or the 11th hour. Um, and and he was going through a, a, a bit of a mental, um, you know, it wasn't bringing him joy anymore and it wasn't what he wanted to do. And so I just had to be very honest with the whole team and say, look, I'm going to teach this practice. I cannot guarantee, you know, what he's going to do, but I guarantee he'll be a lot happier on the other side, whichever way he goes. Um, but you know, it's, people think that money and fame is going to solve their problems. It's not, it just heightens your problems. It intensifies, it magnifies who you are. And so if you have anxiety or depression and then you become a, an Oscar award winner, it doesn't make the anxiety and depression go away. It, it just means that you have millions and millions of people watching you have anxiety and depression. And mm -hmm. so it's, it's, uh, and that can intensify things and, and exacerbate it. And so for me, it's always about just going to the humanness and, and looking at what, what is the best set of tools for this person at this moment in time? What's going to allow them to remind them of their own greatness? What's going to bring them joy? What's going to allow them to be a vessel for creativity and nature to use them so that they can deliver their gifts to the world? Uh, so you, you do see this from these super high performers and you tell them the same thing, compassion and, and gratitude and, uh, mm -hmm. and it works. Did you stay? He actually left, but, <laughs> but he's happy, but he is happier and he's going back soon. Okay. He just called me two days ago. I was like, I'm coming back and I can't wait to use these tools when I'm playing. Um, so yeah, it's exciting. Okay. That is super cool. Now there's a law in game changers, the one where I quote you in the book and it, it's law 39 called hijack your body's attention. And the law goes like this. Your breath controls your brain and your heart because a lack of oxygen will get your body's attention faster than anything. Train your body to stay calm during stressful situations by using your breath to your benefit. Train your body to use oxygen better. There's untapped energy available when your body stops stressing and gets more oxygen. Unconscious breathing lessens your impact in the world and you're here to make an impact. And I asked you on the last show, you know, which breathing technique 
you thought had the most benefits and you talked about a balancing breath between the left and right. And so if you're listening to this and you want that, you can search for Emily Fletcher Bulletproof Radio and you've been on earlier episodes there and I'll put those in the show notes for you. But what I want to know now is you've got your new book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, uh, where you've had a chance to put together all of this work you've been doing with people. And, and writing a book is a very big forcing function. It makes you become a badass at learning and knowing what you know. You have to either teach something a long, for a long time or write a book. In your case, you've done both in order to crystallize and structure the knowledge so that it can be absorbed. And um, your book is is really, really good at that. And you talk about the Ziva technique, which didn't exist. You hadn't You hadn't manifested that when we mm-hmm. last interviewed. So tell me about the Ziva technique and how it's different from that balancing breath you had before. So the balancing breath you could totally use at the beginning of the Ziva technique, but the the Ziva technique is this beautiful trifecta of mindfulness, meditation, and manifesting. And where this gets a little confusing is that a lot of people are using the terms mindfulness and meditation as synonyms, but they're not actually the same thing. Mindfulness, as I would define it, is the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. And it's very good, like I was saying earlier, at dealing with your stress in the now, like taking an aspirin. I have a headache. Let me take an aspirin. I feel better right now. It's it's an immediate state change, Mm -hmm. similar to breath work. Now, the meditation that I teach is all about getting rid of your stress from your past. And in order to do that, we have to give the body very deep healing rest. And so what we do is that we de-excite the metabolic rate, the rate with which the body consumes oxygen. So in the the main course of the Ziva technique, it's not about manipulating the breath, but we're actually utilizing tools that go in and slow the breathing, where you almost feel like you're barely breathing at all. Um, But body temperature cools, heart rate slows, all of which allows your body to basically take a supercharged power nap, but without the sleep hangover. And it's appropriate to do at your office. You don't have to like sleep under your desk or anything. Um, And then the third component, the dessert, if you will, is the manifesting. And that, like we were saying, it's it's you getting intentional about what you want your life to look like. And I'm, I'm always fascinated how infrequently people do this. People think they're manifesting. They think they're praying, but they're secretly complaining. They're asking <laughs> questions like, uh, well, why did she get a raise and I didn't? Why can't I lose this weight? Why won't my husband go to therapy? And if you ask shitty questions, you're going to get shitty answers. And so instead, this, this manifesting time is like being disciplined about using this beautiful sacred space right after meditation, right after accessing that right brain connectivity and then asking very good questions. Questions like, what would my dream job look like? What does my dream relationship look like? What does my relationship with my body look like? How much money do I want to make this year? And so this is the Ziva technique. And and I started teaching this because I realized that the world was filled with ex-meditators. You know, so many people had tried meditation and quit because they quote unquote don't have time or they perhaps didn't They weren't equipped to handle the mental and physical detoxification that can happen when you start an intense meditation practice. Uh, And so because the meditation is getting rid of all that stuff from your past, there can be some days and even some weeks of crankiness, of tiredness, of sadness. And it's basically a lifetime of trauma coming up and out. And because I wasn't really previously focusing on giving people tools to move through that, I wanted to change it because I realized a lot of people quit because it like, there are billions of dollars of industry built on top of ensuring that you never feel a feeling. And so when meditation kind of rings you out and forces you to feel, uh, you need to be equipped and you need to have a community and a teacher and tools to help you move through that feeling with grace and, and to know that there is light at the end of that tunnel. Um, so, so yeah, so that's how I cognize the Ziva technique is that I just wanted a high performers, high achievers to have a tool like mindfulness to use as a runway to go into that deep, restful surrender that is meditation. And then at the end to use the manifesting to feel like they've done all this work and now they can hitch that wagon up to their dreams. It's like, yes, I just quote unquote wasted my time meditating, but now I can really think about what I want to do with all this increase of energy. How do I want to show up in the world? It's still interesting to me how many people get stuck on that third manifesting element you talked about from the Ziva technique. And it's almost like it's repellent because if people think of like the the magician with a, the white rabbit, uh, you know, waving a wand over a hat kind of thing. And if you go back to like the original personal development book, assuming we're not talking about like, you know, old school religious texts uh, out of China or India or, uh, or the West, uh, 
it's really Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Okay, this is a book that huge numbers of people, including me, have read. You know, going back to the the early 1900s, uh, and it has straight up manifestation techniques in it. You know, like write your goals down and look at them every day. Uh, and so, like we we kind of know that that manifestation has been out there for decades and decades and decades, but sometime in the last 20, 30 years, we, we sort of fell into this scientific conundrum where manifesting, or we don't know how manifesting would work, therefore it can't work, therefore it doesn't work, therefore I shouldn't do it, which is completely mm. anti-science, right? But it, it's this weird thing that people do. And it's the same thing with you know, nutritional supplements. Like, I don't know why that would work, therefore it doesn't. And you're like, but but there's clinical results that said it did work. And, uh, and, and so this weird, I think, entirely left-brain phenomena happens. For someone who's listening, who is an engineer, who is a high performer, and thinks manifesting is complete and utter and total bullshit, what would you say to them? Mm-hmm. I would say that it's basically you placing the order with the cosmic waitress at the cosmic restaurant. It's you taking the time to even ask yourself what it is that you want. Because to your point earlier, a lot of us think that we want money and that the money will make us happy. And so we never take the time to get specific about what it is that we actually want. And we don't all want the same thing. So to me, the power in manifesting is getting really quiet, utilizing that time right after you've meditated and asking the question, what do I want? What would, what, what would I like to manifest? And that's half of the magic. It's just you taking the time to listen to those desires that nature actually put inside of you. Nature put those desires there. So it's not even you coming up with them. It's just acknowledging the fact that we have 50% left brain and 50% right. 50% individuality and 50% totality. Mm-hmm. And so this is taking the time to have that conversation, to place your order, to make your intention known. And then, and then it's about surrender and trust. And to your point, knowing that your happiness does not lie on the other side of the manifestation of the desires. Can you got, you got the $6 million and it didn't make you happy. I got on Broadway three weeks later. It was the saddest I had ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of get married. They have the kid, they buy the company, they buy the car. And lo and behold, if you don't have the ability to access your bliss and fulfillment right here, right now, it is not coming on the other side of any person, place or thing. And I think that as some of these more modern manifesting tools have been incorporated into the popular vernacular, that's when people get a little dismissive of it because they think, oh, well, you want me to just secret a Ferrari. And then if I get a Ferrari, then I will be happy. It's like, no, you have to do the work of accessing your happiness here and now. And you have to take, do the work of taking responsibility for your desires because your desires are not there to tell you where you need to go to fill yourself up. Your desires are there because that's nature using you to go and deliver your gifts to the world. Very, very beautifully said question for you. Do you use a sleep tracker? <laughs> I have. I don't right now, but I have. I actually had an aura ring. Mm-hmm. Harpreet, who I know has been on the show, he's a Ziva graduate. Oh, nice. Um, aura ring. And I have used, I think after the Bulletproof Conference, I used the the one that you, when you put your phone on an airplane, you put it on your bed. What's that? Sleep tracker? Uh, sleep cycle. Sleep cycle. Yeah. I used that for a little while. Yeah. How much deep sleep do you get? Well, it's funny because my sleep, when I'm meditating regularly, it just looks like this beautiful, deep, like a swimming pool. Yeah. It just goes down and kind of stays there. Oh, so you don't go through the normal cycles. I, I don't. Do you dream a lot? <laughs> when my husband and I first moved in together, he looked at me and was like, good night, honey. And sweet dreams. And I said, I don't dream. And I turned over and rolled and went to bed. <laughs> romantic. Um, um, but I, I don't dream too much these days, but my sleep is crazy. Cause I have a seven month old. Yeah, um, fair so point. you're not going to get quality sleep for another year. Sorry. <laughs> my husband has been taking nights. So okay. I'm, I'm sort of like earplugs, white noise, nice. but I just think I'm in a weird, I'm in an in-between sleep right now, but normally my sleep, when I track, it looks like a swimming pool and I go through periods where I don't, I don't think I dream all that much. Do you? Well, I've seen anecdotal stuff. I've talked with you know meditation gurus from different countries, and I'm 
just being able to say that is the coolest thing ever. Like a lot of just to get a chance to interact with people like that's neat. Uh, and a lot of them have said that when you do more meditation, that you tend to you tend to dream less, just because mm-hmm. like your brain doesn't need to do it. But then you also have the shamanic side, the Alberto Viotos of the world, uh, and they're like you dream the world into being, and you know, they spend their entire night uh, dreaming. There's a book. I haven't met the author yet. It's called Tibetan Sleep Yoga. And the guy's like, look, I'm a busy llama and I just don't have time during the day to meditate. So I just do all my meditation when I'm asleep and I just go to sleep and then, I, and then in my dreams, my legs are crossed. And he's serious and he writes all the stuff he does. I'm like, I want wow. to learn to do that. Uh, so cool. I, uh, I generally haven't remembered my dreams or haven't had very many of them. But with some of the sleep hacks I'm using lately, uh, last night I had three hours of REM sleep and an hour and a half of deep sleep. Um, that's sleeping like a 20-year-old and I'm 46 and I'm, uh, I've actually been able to just with the right combination of things really, really increase those. Uh, so I feel like my brain's getting a little bit younger. Uh, but it's, it's curious because you do meditate a lot and yeah, it's a tough time in life because no one has normal sleep with a new baby. Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, I've just wanted to see what you've seen maybe in your clients when they start meditating, do they have more dreams, less dreams, better dreams, more nightmares? Like, Like what's the relationship between meditation and dreaming? Well, what happens in the beginning is a lot of people get very, very vivid dreams and lots of times nightmares. And and that's basically that catharsis I was talking about. It's that lifetime of sadness and stress and trauma that comes up and out. And it comes up in the meditation in the form of thoughts. It comes up in your waking state in the form of tears and irritability. And then it comes up in the sleep in the form of nightmares. So if anyone wants to sign up, it's just zivameditation.com slash online. <laughs> just a great sales pitch, Emily. Um, but <laughs> well, no, but the, the thing is, if, if you've got stuff stuck in there, uh, it yeah. will affect the way you behave towards every other human and towards yourself all the time until you get it out. And that's right. it, I mean, it, that's not a bad thing to have a nightmare because you wake up like, oh, I had a nightmare, big deal. Like now yeah. something that was buried is unburied and it yes. won't, it won't affect me anymore. So. So the theme song very much wants to be better out than in. So in the first few days and weeks, it can be pretty intense. Sleep can get interrupted. People who've never had insomnia sometimes have it for a few days. And there's oftentimes very violent nightmares because we don't have a place to put our rage in this day and age. Unless you're a football player, there's no archetype for expressing rage these days. Um, But then after a few weeks, things even out and then their sleep becomes much deeper. And a lot of people who have tracked their sleep pre and post Ziva before meditating, their sleep cycles, they look like hills and valleys, like mountains. Mm -hmm. And then after taking the course, it looks like that pool basin. You just go light, medium, deep for six hours, medium, light, wake up, and they wake up and they feel so much more refreshed. And so this is to me, you know, for the people that say, I don't have time to meditate. It's like, okay, well, if your sleep could be one hour more efficient, then for a 30 minute time investment, you now have 30 extra minutes in your day. Uh, that is a really powerful argument. Sleep efficiency is so much more important than getting eight hours of sleep, which is like 1970s advice at this point. In mm-hmm. fact, um, I posted one of the very early Bulletproof blog posts was the first sleep monitor you could buy was called a Zio, and they're out of business now. And I was like, here's how to change their algorithm so that you're like, how how well did I sleep for the time I wanted to sleep? Because it was all about if you slept eight hours, you're a good person. So <laughs> with the, the Aura Ring, they actually incorporated that uh, idea of sleep efficiency. So I'm, I'm always like, you know, 87, 89, 90%, which is I don't waste time in bed. Uh, and nice. I, I feel good <laughs> about that, but I think, um, you know, getting, uh, getting that percentage up is, is critical for people. And the reason I'm asking about sleep is that that's chapter four in your book is all about sleep because, you know, sleep will improve your meditation practice. Your meditation practice will improve your sleep. And it's one of those things that I think isn't talked about enough. So thank you for bringing it up in your book. Mm, my pleasure. And we actually have some studies in there. Like we show graphs of people pre and post meditation and, and just showing like the efficiency, but I've seen it, you know, time and time again, and, and both are going to make your life better. It's very hard to have a great life when you're tired. Well, I, uh, I agree with you there. And I'm, I'm actually a little bit remiss here because, uh, you have graciously offered anyone listening to Bulletproof Radio a 15% off of your meditation course. And mm-hmm. uh, guys, this isn't, uh, some sort of an affiliate thing. This is just a gift from Emily to you. Like I, I don't have any financial stake in that. Uh, so zivameditation.com and just use the code bulletproof and you can save 15% if you'd like to experience this nightmare inducing course. No, just kidding. 
<laughs> and then your whole life gets so much better yeah. because you have less stress in your body. <laughs> Those are, are a small uh, sometimes side effect, but they're one that's worth having. And so yep. I said that on, on purpose because seriously, if, if all those thoughts and all those emotions are bottled up in there, you're just going to act like a jerk all the time the way I used to. And got to get it up and out. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's got to get out of there. And there's many ways. There's, there's neurofeedback. There's the breathing, uh, the breathing part of meditation, which is part of what you teach in Ziva meditation. And then there's you know, the compassion and gratitude and the, the chanting, all that stuff. I don't think either one of us can tell you exactly how it works. However, if you're sitting there going, this meditation stuff is for people who wear you know, tinfoil hats and burlap sacks, uh, you're still stuck in the 80s because there's thousands of years of research behind this, and it actually works. And if you think it doesn't work and you try it and it doesn't work, you basically spent two weeks looking dumb. And if you try it and it does work, the benefits are kind of big there. So your risk is low, your benefit is high. So I would say learn meditation in whatever way you want, but Ziva meditation is good and it's got a good balance of these things. And just from this interview, you can tell Emily knows what she's talking about. So use code Bulletproof on zivameditation.com and save a little bit of money and uh, go out there and just use this stuff to make the world a better place. It kind of could use it right now. This whole melting of the uh, of the glaciers in the Himalayas is kind of pissing me off. That, that news just came out. So... Do uh, I guess if you breathe more, you'll uh, sequester more carbon dioxide? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's not how it works, but I wish it was. <laughs> but I do think that a planet full of less stressed people will make more conscious purchasing decisions. Yeah. We will be more conscious about how we consume, which will impact climate change. Yeah. We will elect more conscious leaders. We will understand that the planet is part of us, and we are part of it. And, and so that's a very real side effect of meditation. And it's actually part three of the book is we look, we pull the lens way out and we look at, well, how does you selfishly improving yourself impact your relationship, your family, your coworkers, and then ultimately humanity and the planet itself? Yeah, I, uh, I believe just based on biology that we are fundamentally wired to be nice to each other. It's just that we won't do it until we're sure that there's nothing about to kill us. That's your stress and anxiety, right? Like that's fear of something, some nebulous fear as long as we're not starving that's why maybe you should eat in a way that doesn't make you hungry that's a big body of my work and then there's this whole if you feel like the species is never going to get to reproduce you'll also feel anxious all the time so basically get some uh, for lack of a <laughs> lack of a better and there's a whole chapter in the book called from om to omg all uh, about how it can improve your sex life <laughs> uh, there you go and actually meditation and breathing i, I tell you if, if you if you're a guy and you want to not have problems with that uh, premature problem learn how to breathe and you'd be amazed at the changes that could happen in the bedroom i'm not going to go any deeper than that uh, but um, then there's that final thing after we get those out of the way just like bacteria wired to form uh, kombucha little uh you know weird jellyfish looking things called the mother or the scoby uh, which is actually disgusting if you've ever poked a scoby but anyway they will interoperate they will form a community for the benefit of the whole and humans are wired to do the same thing so if you meditate you get rid of the first f the fear you eat right you get rid of that second f feed uh you gotta you know figure out your own dating situation that's the other f uh, you can figure out that one. And then, you know, let's make friends. And so I, I got to say, do meditation because that's the first F word that you need to handle. Mm -hmm. Gets you out of that chronic fight or flight. It's yeah. hard to make friends when you're afraid. Well, Emily, your new book, Stress Less, Accomplish More, for people who don't want to go straight to the meditation course, it is a profound read. It's an easy read. And it's got all of the things that you would want to know in order to just think about, all right, how can I get more of the things that I want in my life, including getting stuff done uh, with less stress along the way? It's that reducing stress reduces struggle, which makes everything easier, which makes life more fun. So there's some secrets of the universe in that book. Uh, mm -hmm. And I like the way you interpreted the universe in it. So thank you for writing Stress Less, Accomplish More and for sharing it. Thank you so much for sharing it with your tribe. And also our mutual friend, Mark Hyman, he wrote the forward. Uh, so that's kind of fun to have one of the world's leading doctors who's also hella busy talking about how this thing gives him more time. So I'm down with that. Yeah. Uh, Mark Hyman's last interview on Bulletproof Radio got so many positive uh, feedbacks because he kind of opens up the kimono about like who he really is and why he does what he does. And talk about a profound human being who's just out for the good of everyone. I, I really, I really appreciate Mark. 
yeah, he, every time I see him, it's just a tsunami of love. Yeah. So he is, he's doing big, big work in the world, as are you. And I'm very grateful to know you. Thanks. And and one thing about yeah. the gratitude and the forgiveness and the generosity, it's just I just wanted to share that it's not just talk for you. Like every time I've interacted with you, when you invited me to lead a meditation at your book launch, like you, I just feel your heart in everything that you do. And I know how much you care about making the world better and about paying it forward and lifting people up around you. And I see you walk your talk. So thank Aww. you. Thank you, Emily. That's uh, that's really kind. I uh, I do my best and it's all, it's just who I am. So if there's no... There's no way you can act any of that stuff. It's just, mm. it is it is what it is. And here's the secret. If anyone acts that way, it actually kind of feels good and it makes people like want to help you. So there's really no downside to being that way towards others. It's just a question of whether you can get out of your own way enough to do that most of the time anyway. And I'm still working on it. I'll tell you when I'm perfect. <laughs> Perfection is a prison yeah, anyway. It is. I've got one more question for you. It's my new question. Now that I did the Game Changers question for about 580-something interviews, you know, the, the question about performing better. I've been running an anti-aging nonprofit group for 20 years now, or almost 20 years. And I've learned from people three times my age, at least when I was a little bit younger, you know, who were you know, highly performing, happy, healthy in their late eighties, you know, dating people decades younger than them. And just, you know, people who are breaking all the rules. So here's my question for you. How long do you want to live? A sensible 120 feels good. Okay. Why stop at 120? I mean, I feel like I've lived a lot and I'm almost, I'm going to be 40 in March. And I've had an amazing life. And I feel like if I, if I quadruple that, like that'll feel good. I mean, yeah, just feels good. And probably is showing perhaps what I consider to be normal and what I am considering to be above normal. So it's not quite average and it's not trying to be perfect <laughs> <laughs> to our beginning point, right? I'm not trying to be perfect and I'm not, but I am trying to be above average. That's definitely above average. 120 is about up at the upper edge of what we've, we've seen people achieved using the technology of yesterday. Uh, my, my number is 180 uh, or more. I know. And it, it's, I just think that there's so much good stuff coming. And, and part of that is that Given all the stuff you've done in you know, the only 40 years, I kind of like to picture what wisdom you might have when you're 160. Mm. And if your brain and your body are still working, which are prerequisites for wanting to live to any age, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Like what good could you do with that wisdom? Mm. Right? Like what would you do to change the world? I, I think we have a shortage of wisdom on the planet because a lot of our, our village elders have Alzheimer's disease and, mm. they, <laughs> and their health is so crappy. They're, they're not able to do the things that they would have performed uh, in a uh, you know, hundred years ago. Uh, I've never thought about that. That's fascinating and a, and a really good inspiration to want to take good care of your brain. Yeah. You want to be the old person who's like, you don't want to do that because I did that when I was 20 and 30 and 40 and it hurts every time. Try this instead. I, right? I tried it, it Sonny. <laughs> I mean, it, it just seems like like there's that. And also, if you're going to live that long or you just think you might, maybe you wouldn't make such a mess of the oceans because you're going to, mm. you know, you're going to have to clean it up, right? Yeah, <laughs> there's actually a story in the book where I talk about these monks in India where they, they call their death date. They say next Wednesday, I'm going to meditate on the Ganges and I'll just drop my body. But they're not doing it because the body has become decrepit. They're doing it because they're in a state of consciousness where the body becomes irrelevant. And, and the concept that I really enjoyed, which I think will resonate with you is that you want to take care of your body. Like you would a beautiful piece of clothing. If you had a beautiful brand new suit, you wouldn't wear it once and then crumple it on the floor and stomp on it when you take it off. I would pour coffee all over it because that's what I do to my body. I mean, that just, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, you want to take care of your body and then take it off with care and hang it up like a beautiful yeah. suit. Yeah, yeah that's so a good I point. like that idea with the body. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts about old age with everyone listening. Uh, I want all of us uh, on the planet to think about the fact that, that we have a really good chance of being 120 years old and fully in charge of our faculties and able to show up in the world, you better start making the world look like you want it to look when you're that age right now. Yes. Amen. Amen. 
Awesome, Emily. Thanks again. Again, zivameditation.com. Use code BULLETPROOF to get a discount. Your new book, Stress Less, Accomplish More. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Bye, friends. A Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.